Jesus, the table flipper is what we're talking about today. This is week two of our series, or week two of our series, Outlaw. And I'm really excited for this one, but, but I wanna kind of set up the whole series a little bit. If you missed last week, you can always go back and check it out. It's on YouTube, uh, it's on our website, all that good stuff. But last week, we talked about Jesus, the outlaw, and kind of set up the whole idea of, of this series, how Jesus was an outlaw. And But what's the premise of every Western movie, okay? Every Western movie, there's usually a small town. You got some outlaws, some bad dudes that ride into town, right? And then the people that are there, I'm going to have a lot of sound effects for you today, okay? So we're going to have the people that are there like, oh, no, what do we do? And then they're like, oh, John Wayne. And he comes up and he's all like, oh, how can I be of service, right? And then he just literally like destroys everybody, kills all the outlaws, and then the town is saved and everything's good, right? And that is the premise of almost every single Western movie. They're all the same. But what is an outlaw? somebody that is outside of the protection of the law, somebody that's done something that's so bad and so heinous that basically they say, you know what, if anybody kills you, it's probably a good thing, okay? Or actually, we'll even give money to somebody that kills you. This is what an outlaw is. And we talked about last week how Jesus himself was a little bit of an outlaw, right? He came to town with his ragtag group of disciples, okay, strolling up in there, and the people in Jerusalem ended up killing Jesus and almost every single one of his disciples, and they thought that they were the hero of the story, right? They thought, well, we've done it. Like, we killed this heretic, this guy that's, that's, that's messing with our traditions and our laws, and we killed him. And they thought they were the hero of the story. But really, actually, Jesus, the outlaw, was the hero of that story. And so we're looking at how he fulfilled that Old Testament law, which is what we talked about last week, established a new law of grace for us, and how he challenged hypocrisy and legalism all along the way. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. So today's a table flipper, but next week I'm real excited for Jesus the jokester. Now, I think that might be my favorite one of this series. I'm not gonna lie. I'm real excited about this one. Last week was so good because it just set, it was like a story of the whole Bible and everything that God has done for us. Today is gonna be fun, but next week, Jesus the jokester, please don't miss that because we're gonna be telling jokes. And Jesus was actually really funny. He used sarcasm a ton. He jabbed at people a ton. He had a great sense of humor. People sometimes think of Jesus as this dude that's just like chilling, like not fun to be around. He was probably just like super serious all the time. No, no, no. He had a little bit of fun poking at the Pharisees and the religious leaders. We're going to talk about that. And then week four is Jesus the politician, which is all about how he actually created a new law that was greater than the last. So, uh, I told you today we're gonna have some fun. I told you we might we might have a little Bobby Knight action going on. If you know, do you know who Bobby Knight is? Does everybody know? Okay, raise your hand if you know who he is. Okay, some people, some of y'all don't like basketball, and some of y'all ain't been around a little bit. Okay, so let me let me explain who Bobby Knight is. This dude is so famous for literally one thing. Okay, he was a, a coach. Uh, and he coached the Indiana Hoosiers for a while. And this this one thing that he's really famous for was 36 years ago, 36 years ago. And it was in a really tense Big Ten game against Purdue, right? They're in this really tense game coming down to the final minutes. This is, this is a really important game for them, okay? Bobby Knight was kind of known as a little bit of a hothead, all right? He was, it was definitely a hotheaded coach. Uh, he got himself into some trouble, got some technical fouls against him on the regular. And so his team ended up getting three fouls in the span of 59 seconds, which is actually a really short amount of time. Okay, it's a very short amount of time to get three fouls. He was pretty upset about it. And so what does Knight do? He goes over and yells at the ref. He gives him a little piece of his mind, okay? Then he comes back and he's like going over all huffy to go sit down and everything. He must have said something else under his breath. 
The ref hears it, and what does he do? Boom, tees him up, gives him another technical. And Bobby's like, what do you, he just like gets so mad. He, you know what, I, I, I don't want to actually tell you all about it. I, why don't we just show you? I think we got a video. I'm going to show you exactly what happens here. Fred Jasper's now chasing Bobby Knight back to his chair. And he's we got, got technical. Right there. Here's the tee. Two-shot technical against the bench and against Bob Knight. Steve Reed, an excellent free-throw shooter, will have the honor of shooting the technicals. Look at here, look at here. Bobby Knight just threw his chair. Clear across the free-throw lane. And I think uh, Fred Unbelievable. Jackson. He picked up another tee. And now Fred Jaspers has called for athletic director Ralph Floyd. <laughs> Fred Jaspers talking to... Uh, Mr. Floyd down in the uh, corner. So obviously, Bobby Knight is not happy at all. And this is the number one clip. If you ever see like a montage, if you're on YouTube, of clips of coaches going absolutely nuts. And just, this is always the number one result of coaches going nuts because no one had ever done anything like that. And no one's really done anything since. I mean, he was like the, the, the iconic dude that did it first, right? If anybody's ever thrown a chair or anything like that later, it's because Bobby Knight did it first. They got the idea from him, okay? And so uh, what I want to tell you about today is maybe we think of Jesus as this quiet guy who was maybe this pacifist who never got upset about anything, who never had any anger, who never had any real emotions or anything like that. And to be honest, it's not true at all. Many times in scripture, we see Jesus rebuking Pharisees very, very strongly, rebuking the religious leaders. And we'll talk about some more of kind of those snarky comments he made next week in Jesus the Jokester. But what I want to get across to you today is that he has a personality, right? Jesus was fully God and fully man. I mean, he had the same emotions and the same feelings that you and I did. And, and the biggest kind of outburst of emotion that we see from Jesus in all of scripture is found in Mark chapter 11. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there and you go to Mark chapter 11, we're going to be in verses 15 through 18. But the kind of anger that we see Jesus showing in this passage is the exact opposite of the anger that we see from Bobby Knight here, where Bobby Knight is this explosive, angry, very selfish in a big way kind of anger. The anger Jesus shows here, even though it's kind of the same concept, he was throwing a chair, Jesus is flipping a table, but it's completely, completely different. So let's start reading Mark 11, 15 through 18. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Wow. Okay. So let me give you a little bit of context here. We see Jesus coming through like a bull in a china shop, right? This dude is going nuts. He's flipping these tables over. And another passage that actually talks about how he fashioned a whip and was like whipping people out of there. He's like, get, why don't you get on out of here? Which is really kind of like the outlaw vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like this really fits today. Okay. Um, so 
Let me give you some context. People were coming from all over the place for the Passover feast. And this is a very, very important feast. They remembered the Passover. If you'll remember when they were in Egypt, the people were enslaved, right, by the Egyptians. And then there was a plague that came and they had to put the blood of the lamb over their door. And the, the angel of the Lord passed over their house and did not enter. And the plague did not touch their family because they had put the blood of the lamb on the doors. And that's how the angel of the Lord knew that they had heard from God and that they weren't supposed to be touched by this plague. And so they celebrated this every single year. It's very, very important to them. And so they came to this Passover feast. And what did they do? Well, they needed animals to offer up to God as sacrifices. This was a very normal thing for them to do. It was actually a part of that same law that we talked about last week. But many of the Jews and people from different nations lived pretty far away from Jerusalem. And this was like a pilgrimage feast. So everybody came to the same place, right? It's like going to a big old stadium, coming to the same place, celebrating the same thing, celebrating a big football game. You know what I mean? It's kind of one of those sort of things. So it wasn't very practical for them to bring animals from a really long way away, right? Have you ever gone on a trip with an animal before? Has anybody ever like had a dog or a cat or any kind of weird animal that you brought, like a bird? I don't know, maybe you have some weird animals. I don't know, but you, you put them in the car and it's like a really annoying process, all right? You try to take animals on a long road trip. It is really difficult. Me and Steven actually, uh, his wife Caroline is our kids pastor. We, we did a 32 hour road trip from Connecticut to Texas when they came back here to plant a radical church with us and they had a cat. And so me and Steven had a cat in our car for 32 hours driving from Connecticut to Texas. Not really ideal. Okay. Cats are a little bit easier than dogs. Uh, but you got to think, okay, these people don't have I-35. They don't have transportation. That's real easy. They are walking or they're riding camels or whatever animals that they had. And so their animals that they were bringing for sacrifices, the lambs or whatever it might be, they're walking along days and days and sometimes maybe even weeks to get to Jerusalem uh, so that they can make this sacrifice. And these animals, they're thinking like, oh, we're going on a vacation. This is dope. And they're like, mm-mm, you ain't gonna like what's about to happen to you, right? And they have no idea, you know? So anyway, it wasn't very practical for them to bring these animals from a long way away. So they would actually sell them there at the temple, okay? They would set up their booths and in order to try to drum up as much business for themselves as they could in the outer courts. Uh, but the problem wasn't necessarily that the service was being offered, right? It was a practical good idea. I mean, if you think about it, you're like, well, this makes sense. I mean, we should have the animals here because the people need them and they need to sacrifice them here. They're from out of town. They're not gonna bring their own. So it kind of makes practical sense to have the animals there. But when you look at it from the context of Jesus and the culture and the law that they lived under, Jesus had a very, very big problem with where they were doing this and also with how they were doing it. Those were the two big issues that Jesus had. And, and if I was gonna sum up in one sentence why Jesus was angry in this moment, it would go like this. It's that God's house had become a consumer-driven marketplace instead of an altar for prayer, sacrifice, and worship for all nations. If you're taking notes, write that down because that is the, the ultimate reason why Jesus was upset. And we're gonna break that down that God's house has become a consumer-driven marketplace instead of an altar for prayer, sacrifice, and worship for all nations. That's the last part there that's very, very important. So the first problem that we want to address and that Jesus was addressing with this anger and this table flipping was the where. The where was the first problem. And really, if you want to sum this up, you could put profit over prayer. This is what the religious leaders and these people cared more about was profit over prayer. You see, Jesus says, 
my house shall be called a house of prayer. But he actually says right before that, is it not written? Isn't it written? Which once again, you got to read it with a little bit of oomph. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is talking to the religious leaders that are supposed to know all of these texts. They're supposed to know all of these things. And Jesus is like, hey, hey guys, so isn't it written? Because I just want to make sure like you should know this, right? That my house is going to be called a house of prayer for all nations. But, but, but we're not doing that here. So like, what's the issue? What's the problem here? And he's, he's quoting Isaiah 56, seven, and I want to read that verse and I'll give you a little bit more context in Isaiah so we can better understand what's happening here. Isaiah 56, seven says, these, these people, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the key right there for all nations. Nation. So who are these people that Isaiah 56, 7 is talking about? Who are, who are these people that God is talking about? Foreigners. He's talking about people that do not live in the actual confines of the religious group, the Jews, God's people. He's talking about people from far away. These verses are saying right before, actually, if you look at it, it says, just because you're not a Jew, don't think that you can't come and worship me, Right? Like if you know me and you love me and and you want to abide by my covenants and all that stuff, don't think that you can't be a part of this. And I'm going to actually make a place for you, provide a space and a place for you to worship. God was promising through the prophet Isaiah here, all people are going to be able to come to him, that this wasn't going to be just an exclusive club only for the Jews, only for the Israelites, right? But no, 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 this is going to be for all people. And so if you look at the actual temple itself and how it was set up, I don't have a picture. I should have put a picture up for you guys, but there was kind of this like inner court, like inner temple area where only certain people were allowed, like the chief priests were allowed in here and certain people under the law were allowed in there. But then there was kind of this outer court area that was for all of the foreigners that came that believed in God, but maybe weren't Jews, right? And so they wanted to have a place to come and worship as well. But this is the same spot where the money changers and the sellers had set up shop. So think about this. The only place that you're allowed to worship God in the temple during this really important feast, when you're trying to honor God and you're trying to pray because this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And now the only place that you have available to you to worship, if you're not a Jew, is now overrun by animals and people selling things, right? Like you're just over here trying to have a moment with the Lord to yourself. And you're like, God, I'm just so grateful for you. And then there's like some sheep going like, like right next to you. And they're like, that'll be a hundred dollars. You know, it's like, it's not really a great opportunity for you to pray and to have a moment with God, right? This is not what it was supposed to be. And the very nation that was supposed to be this big blessing to the world, God makes this promise to Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, right? And then through this nation, right, through these people, your descendants, all nations will be what? Blessed. All nations will be blessed. And yet now this nation, the Jews, are not really being a blessing to anybody. They're actually being a stumbling block for the outsiders that were trying to come in to worship God. They were being a stumbling block for them. And so I think if we're going to relate this to us, like you're like, okay, this is a great story. How does that relate to me? I think sometimes we treat people outside of the church like this, don't we? As if there's still some barrier between the believers and the non-believers, right? 
We have kind of this like unspoken thing between us. Like, okay, well, like we're the church people. And we're the good people. Praise the Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? And the outsiders are like, we're like, oh, okay. Like we love you from afar. Like we talk about it, but we don't actually really want to do anything about it. We're going to still have this barrier between us because like, you guys are dirty. You know what I mean? Like we're the clean, holy ones in here, guys, right? And that's kind of how we have sometimes this thought process that there's still a barrier between believers and non-believers, but not even that, because actually all these people that are represented here, they were all believers, right? There were just some people that weren't necessarily Jews that were believers. So I think it goes even a little bit deeper to say, even within the church itself, sometimes we treat people like this. Maybe there's some people that don't necessarily fit the mold of, of, of kind of the crew and the clique that maybe you have. And some people get pushed to the outside, to the fringes of the church, to the point where they think, well, no one here really even cares about me. But the thing that Jesus is trying to teach us here is that he wanted to secure access for all people to worship God, right? To give an opportunity for every single person that wanted to come to the Father to have an opportunity to worship him. And aren't you grateful today that Jesus invites every single one of us into the house of God, no matter what you've done, no matter what kind of issues you have, like Jesus says, you know what? If you will come and you will sit at my feet, listen, I will give you rest. I will give you forgiveness. Come and worship me. Doesn't matter who you are. Please come into the house of God. And at Radical Church, listen, I'm gonna tell you right now, I wanna make it as easy as possible for somebody to find and follow Jesus. I wanna make it as easy as possible for somebody to find and follow Jesus, providing a space for people to ask questions, right? If you have doubts, listen, come with those doubts, come with those issues. We'll talk through this thing. We're not gonna have this barrier between us because, oh, we're the ones that get it and you're the ones that don't understand. No, 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 listen, we're not gonna be like that because I wanna make sure that everyone has an opportunity to come to Jesus, invite everyone to have a seat at our table. Amen. That's the kind of church that I want us to be. And I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what kind of sin you're dealing with. I don't care if you're old, young, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Republican, Democrat. It does not matter to me. Far be it from me to ever stand in somebody's way from having a moment and an experience with Jesus. And that's what we want to do is we want to embody this core value of our church. This is so important. One of our core values is that everyone belongs. Everyone belongs. Everyone can have a seat at the table. Listen, you might not believe the same things that we believe, but you can belong here before you ever believe the same things that we believe. Listen, we want to take you on that journey of knowing God and growing in your faith. But listen, you don't have to be perfect when you step through the door. Why? Because none of us are perfect, right? And this is what Jesus embodies here. And this is why he's really upset about the where it's being done is because he was these the religious leaders and these sellers, these money changers were actually stopping people from worshiping and praying to God. So that's the first problem that Jesus had. And the second problem was the how. Okay, so he's upset that you shouldn't be doing this here. It's just disrespectful to the house of God, uh, number one, but also like you shouldn't be doing this because this is where they're supposed to pray. He had a big problem with the where, but the second issue was how. And it could be summed up as profit over people. They cared more about the profit than they did about the people themselves. So during this Passover celebration, every family that could afford it would sacrifice an unblemished 
lamb. What is that? Like a spotless lamb. Sometimes you might hear of Jesus referred to as the lamb of God. And this is why, because they would sacrifice this lamb, but it had to be a perfect lamb. It couldn't be a lamb that had spots or had an issue with it. Why? Because God wanted our best, right? He wanted our absolute best and he wanted it first above anything else. And it really is a symbol of us sacrificing our first fruit, sacrificing the best that we have and giving back to God, recognizing that everything else that we have comes from God as well. So we're going to give him our best. But there was actually a provision in the law as well that maybe if you weren't as wealthy of a family, that you could actually give uh, and sacrifice pigeons or doves. This was an opportunity that God gave because he understands, hey, not everybody has the same amount of wealth. And so I'm gonna make sure I give an opportunity for everyone to participate in this offering. Don't you just love that about God? God is all inclusive, right? Like he is saying, I'm trying to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to participate in what's happening here and in worshiping me and, and saying yes to my covenant and all these things. And so he made a way for everyone to be able to participate. But then what did the Jews do? is they kind of eliminated that extra provision that God had given in the law by inflating the prices of the animals themselves and then charging a ridiculous amount for the exchange currency that would actually work there in the temple. I know this is kind of a lot of like Old Testament stuff, all right? This is like, okay, I don't understand any of this. I'm not like a Bible scholar. I don't know Jewish history or theology like this. Okay, let me explain it to you in a little bit of an easier way, all right? Let's say you, you hungry, all right? You hungry. And you want a hot dog, all right? You want a hot dog. And so you go down and, uh, okay, you go down to the little grocery store. You go to H-E-B, you know, God's grocery store. Okay, you go to H-E-B. And the people up north, they don't understand. They don't know what we got, all right? So so you get a pack of, of buns, all right? And you get some hot dog weenies, all right? And you go home. And you cook them. I don't know how you cook it. You boil it. You put it in the microwave. You crazy people. Anyway, uh, I prefer to put it on the grill if I could. So I'm gonna put that thing on the grill. Get a nice little char on there. Make it real nice. Uh, and then I'm gonna eat this hot dog. It's gonna cost me what? I mean, like I guess one hot dog after you do the pack. It's like I don't know, 50, 75 cents for a hot dog. Maybe a dollar. Let's just make it easy. Let's say it's a dollar per hot dog that you eat at home. Okay. All right. Now, for example. Uh, there's a soccer player I absolutely love. His name is Cristiano Ronaldo, okay? He's a great soccer player. Um, and he just signed on with Manchester United, which is a great team that I love as well. They play in England, okay? So let's say I'm trying to go see Cristiano Ronaldo play uh, at the stadium in England. I want to go see him play. Uh, and so I, I hop on a plane. I get my cash because I know I'm going to have to exchange. I get over there. I get to Heathrow in London. And I say, all right, I need some you know, money that I can actually use here. So we got to exchange it to pounds. What are they going to do? they're going to charge you a fee for the exchange, okay? Usually it's going to be a small fee, but it is a fee regardless. So you're already out a little bit of money right from the start, right when you get there, okay? And then you go to the stadium. We're going to have a great time. You got the bros with you. Like, let's go. We got the jerseys on. Like, we're having a great time at the game. But, but the issue is, is you couldn't actually bring in food or drink into the stadium. Like, that's the thing. You know, you can't bring outside food or drink. But you knew you were going to be hungry there. So you're like, well, I, I can't bring my own hot dogs. So I guess I'm going to have to go eat a hot dog at the stadium. So you go, and now you're hungry. Like, all right, let's go up. And, you know, you take your, your pounds and everything. And you walk up there, and you see a hot dog is eight pounds. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is like 
10 or $11 in US. Like, and this is what I'm supposed to pay for a hot dog? But you're like, I have no other choice because it's right here and this is everybody else is buying them, so I guess I gotta do it. And so you get your hot dog and now you're out a ton of money and the same hot dog that you would have made at home, the exact same hot dog, right? Actually, it might even be better at home if you make it the right way. Uh, you are now paying 10 times as much for that hot dog. How many of y'all know you go to a stadium, you go to like the Cowboys game, you go to any stadium, you are getting ripped off, okay? Everyone knows they're getting ripped off, but it's the convenience that you're paying for, right? It's the convenience of having it there. And they also say you can't even bring things from the outside, which if you really think about it, this is exactly what the temple officials and the money changers were doing to these people. Except they were also in the wrong place. This is a stadium. Maybe we're going to a soccer game or we're going to this big stadium, Austin FC or whatever, you know, they have this new stadium. We're going together and it's this big fun environment. Everybody's celebrating together and everybody's getting ripped off. You know what I mean? But like they're trying to eat their food, but it's this big celebration. But yet actually these money changers are in the wrong place even. And then they were also charging even higher prices for these exchanges. And also let's just be real. Like we're not talking about a hot dog here. We're talking about an actual place of worship of the living God, all right? Like, this is a much different scenario. So you can see why Jesus was way more upset by what was happening at this temple than he would be upset by a hot dog at a stadium. But that kind of shows a little bit of exactly what these people were dealing with. Jesus was angry because these temple officials cared more about money than helping people worship God. And these sellers were just taking advantage of people. And and when I think about that and and us today and church and our lives, I'm trying to think, how does this relate to us? And I think for far too long, the church is focused on what we can get out of you instead of what we could get in you. The church is focused on what you can do for us and how you can advance the mission of the church, but not thinking about you and your own growth in Christ. And listen, I've heard pastors, to be honest, talk about money in deplorable ways, in terrible, terrible ways. I need you to tithe so I can buy a private jet for ministry. <laughs> that's like, a, sure it is. Okay. Like, okay. Like, I, no, that's not for ministry. Okay. I understand maybe you need some of these things, but listen, they will literally extort money out of people in order to advance their own personal ministry empire. And listen, this is absolutely not okay. Playing on people's emotions, promising some ridiculous, you know, prosperity, gospel, financial blessing. I believe there is a blessing that is attached to giving, but in this way, they are way, way beyond anything that the Bible even says. It is extra biblical for sure. And we're going to actually go through this in November. I want to encourage you, make sure you come back because we're going to talk about uh, this series, Money Talks, is, is in November. And we're going to talk all about biblical finances, uh, how to steward what God has given us in a good way, and how to be generous like Christ. Okay, so there is, the Bible has a lot to say about money. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus talks about two things more than anything else in the Bible, and it is hell and money. And yet those are two of the things that we never talk about in church, right? Because those are kind of taboo things. We don't want to talk about hell. Like, oh no, like this is not something we want to talk about. We want to think about it. And then we also don't want to talk about money because it's like, oh, like I don't want to have this conversation, you know, between churches and people. There's always kind of been this weird disconnect. And yet Jesus talks about it so, so much. Money and how we treat money is very important. And this is why Jesus was so upset. Because I've even think about people today, I've seen so many people that have been burned by church, right? They've given their tithes, right? They give every Sunday. They come in and they tithe and they, they come in and they serve every single week and they serve some more and they serve some more. But when they needed support from the church, 
It almost felt like it was maybe a little bit of a burden from the pastors. It was a little bit of a burden for people to actually support the church members. Maybe the church member didn't feel like they were even growing in their faith and they didn't even really have a true community. They were giving, 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 but they weren't actually really getting anything in return. And, and the main point I think that I want to get across today is that church isn't about building some big empire, right? It's about building people. It's about building you and about building your family. And, and I want this church to be a place where we could come in and serve, of course. I, I believe in the principle of sacrificial giving and generosity. These are great, great things. But we also believe in resourcing you for your faith, right? How can we come alongside of you and help you grow in your walk with Christ? How can we help you to thrive in your workplace and in relationships and, and have a healthy marriage and step into your God-given purpose? That's what we wanna do for you. It's almost like, having a bad boss. Okay. Has anybody ever had a bad boss? Raise your hand. If your boss is sitting next to you, that might not be good. But anyway, so uh, I hope that or not, that'd be weird. Anyway, so uh, if you've had a bad boss before, I know I've had a couple, but, but these money changers and these temple officials were basically people like a, a terrible boss that only cares about the bottom line. You know who I'm talking about, right? The boss is like, if I wasn't here, they wouldn't give a rip. All right. If I was gone, they would just find somebody else to replace me. They wouldn't even care whatsoever. If I have something going on in my life, they don't care. They need me there at 8 a.m. And if I'm late, then, you know, too bad. Like you're fired. You know, they have no care for you whatsoever. They only care about making money. And this is what the religious leaders were like. They cared more about profit than people. And Jesus sees this happening and it just grieves his heart. It grieves him so much. But why does it grieve him so much? And it's because his primary mission was people. That was his primary mission. That's why Jesus came to the earth. The sole purpose of him coming here was for him to love people and to restore the relationship between people and the Father, to redeem them, to give them an abundant life, to give them joy, to give them peace. He wanted all these things for these people, and yet he was seeing them being taken advantage. Jesus is like the CEO that is like the one who gives the free snacks in the vending machines. You ever heard of those businesses before? Those really nice ones, maybe in downtown Austin, they got like the snacks in the vending machines. You get like 15 minute coffee breaks on the hour. Okay, you get hour lunch breaks. Maybe the CEO is the kind of person that when you have a baby, you know, they're calling you and saying, hey, how are you guys doing? Can we do anything for you? As a matter of fact, we already sent you a gift to your house. I hope that you got it. And actually, you know what? Why don't you just stay home for three months and hang out with your baby for a little bit? This is the kind of guy that Jesus is. He's not the bad boss. In contrast, he is an amazing, amazing boss. He's the one that's going to care about the company culture, okay? The one that's like, how's everybody doing? How are we feeling, okay? And he's going into this situation with these money changers and these temple officials, and he's having so much empathy within him, saying these people are hurting, and they're getting taken advantage of, and he said, I got a problem with that. Aren't you grateful today that we serve a God that doesn't demand worship as a way to appease his own pride, as a way to appease his own agenda or his own read, but he just invites us into a personal relationship with him. He actually wants to hang out with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to see how you're doing. And this is the radical love that God has for us that compels us to worship him. And so Jesus sees these people being taken advantage of, and he goes in and flips the tables. He goes, Jesus is mad, y'all. He's really, really upset. I mean, if he's mad enough to where he's forming a whip and he's coming on in, he's saying, you know what? I'm done with this. 
I'm done. And I woke half of y'all up right now. He said, he flipped that table over. He's coming. You got to imagine how the people, they're all freaking out. Like, who is this dude? Why is he coming? He's flipping my tables. I got money. I got chickens everywhere. I got sheep running around. You know, they're going crazy. All the animals going nuts. And then he's like, just absolutely causing a ruckus. You ever wanted to do that before? Flip a table? It's pretty fun. <laughs> I've actually never done that before. Oh, you know what? I do have a story about this. I do have a story. Okay, so one time uh, I was with Lindsay's. Okay, this is an aside. One time I had, uh, I was with Lindsay's side of the family. We had just been dating for a little bit, right, babe? And like not that long. Okay, and so I'm with Lindsay's side of the family. And I was like making a joke, like I was going to flip the table. You know, you see people like, <laughs> they pretend to flip a table. And so I was doing something like that. But my plate that I was eating on was like just a little bit too far, like off the edge of the table. And so I flipped like this, just pretending. And I actually flipped the entire plate over. And then it landed down in front of me. And we were all just like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was awesome. And we were all just sitting there. It was like one of those moments you just sat there for a second, like, did that really just happen? Anyway, that's the closest I've ever came to flipping a table. So, uh, but he was angry. Jesus was upset. He was angry. And rightfully so. But that doesn't seem very Christ-like Jesus, <laughs> right? That's kind, of, that's kind of the first thing you might think. Well, that doesn't seem very Christ-like of you. Just flipping tables, getting all angry like that. Is that like how you're supposed to be Jesus? I don't think so, right? Why would he cause such a scene? Because being a Christian does not equal being timid. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're just a pacifist. Being a Christian doesn't mean you let people just run all over you. And especially when they're dishonoring God as well. This is the main time when Jesus gets upset is because somebody is dishonoring God. And sometimes your faith will call for something that's called a righteous anger. A righteous anger. But there's a clear difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. There is a very clear difference. And this is what I want to tell you about today. If I can have Sadie come on up real fast, we're going to close in just a moment. I won't lie to you, I promise. There's a clear difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. So what is righteous anger then? What is this anger that, that Jesus has? And I think righteous anger is being angry at what makes God angry. That if you wanted to boil that down, what is a good kind of anger to have is being angry at what makes God angry. And I have a few things up on the screen for you. And it's really, the first thing is the most important. Righteous anger is angry at anything that distorts or perverts God's goodness. Being angry at anything that makes God out to be somebody that he's not. And that's why sometimes I get pretty upset about things that I do see in church and, 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 and systems and things that I've seen that we've been okay with for years and years and years that have really pushed people outside of the church. And we've had those dividing walls up. And I get angry at some of those things. Why? Because I believe that God would be angry at that too because he wants to invite all these people in. And yet we're having our own party up in here and we're pushing people out. And that's why I had that point earlier. This is part of why Jesus, I think, was upset. And I think this is so important is that it's caring more about God's reputation than about our own, right? Because if you're caring about your own reputation and you're just angry and it's a selfish kind of an anger, well, that's not an anger that's, that's healthy. And that's not a righteous anger. That's a sinful anger. A righteous anger cares about God's reputation and it cares about others and it's supporting others. Jesus, when he flipped the tables, it wasn't about him. In fact, he actually made way more enemies when he did that. He lost a lot of friends when he did that. He lost a lot of people and he actually made it a little bit faster for him to get crucified, right? Every little thing that he did like that, he was making it a little bit quicker for him to get crucified. And he knew that, but he was fighting for the people. 
He was fighting for the people that were being taken advantage of in that moment. And then the second thing is, righteous anger takes the log out of your own eye first. There's a passage that talks about take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's. What is that really saying? Before you go get all righteous indignation and this righteous anger and you start talking to somebody about what God would want and all this stuff, how would you make sure before you do that that you're not dealing with sinful anger in your own life first? That's really what it is. That's what it's all about. And it addresses how have I perverted God's goodness in my own life first? What have I messed up? that I need to deal with first before I try to speak on behalf of God, right? And so that's another thing that I think righteous anger is. It's also directed towards sin and evil, not at people. Righteous anger is always directed at the actual root of the problem and people are never the problem. I just want you to say that right now. We do not fight against powers and principalities or we do not fight against people, against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. What is that saying? It's saying we're not fighting against you and me. This is not the issue, right? There's something deeper and it's called sin. That's the issue. We're fighting against evil, fighting against sin. And if you realize that the person is not the problem, that it's sin and Satan and his demons working in their lives, working in our lives, working around us, then maybe we can come to a, an understanding and an agreement on something. Maybe we can find a solution. But then love always directs us first. That's the next one. And I think anger is a secondary attribute. Secondary attribute of God as well. Why? Because we, say, we see that God is what? Love. God is love. God embodies everything that love is. When you wanna know what true love looks like, who do we go to? We go to God. But yet he has anger sometimes. So how does that make sense? How do those things kind of work together? It seems like they would be opposite, right? But yet it's not actually a sin to be angry. And the Bible says that God is what? Slow to anger. He's very slow to anger. And he has grace for us. He has forgiveness for us when we mess up, when we come to him and we ask God, hey, God, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me for this? He every single time will say yes when you come to him with a true repentant heart. And, and God has so much patience for us, right? This is a fruit of the spirit, patience. Where do you think we get that from? It's from God, all right? This is how we grow in our patience and our love for one another. Some of y'all in here today be like, mm -hmm, yes, you need some more patience, honey. I need some more patience with you because you're crazy. All right. Uh, but this is something that we learn from the Holy Spirit. God is slow to anger, but yet sometimes it acts quickly, which is a very interesting thing because God is normally very slow to anger and he's, he's not going to be somebody that's just going to come out and just blast them, right? You know, bring the fire down from heaven and just destroy people on the first offense. That's not the kind of God that we serve, but sometimes God acts quickly. And you got to think of it like this. What if we're in elementary school? Okay, we're in elementary school. What if you saw a kid getting bullied here at the elementary school? What are you going to do? You're just going to be like, well, I need to be slow to anger because the Lord says I need to be slow. He's slow. I'm going to be slow. So I'm going to let this play out for a little bit and see what happens. Like, no, you're not going to do that. What are you going to do? You're going to run in and help this kid and, and, you know, separate the kids and say, hey, listen, what's going on here? Like, why are we fighting here? What is going on? It might have a little bit of that righteous anger that wells up and say, hey, no, this is not okay. And I would hope that if there was a man that was seeing a woman being abused, that that man would step in and, and even be willing to fight this other guy for the sake of that woman. I sure hope that you'd be willing to do that. And that's a righteous anger right there, gentlemen. And to be honest, I was really angry about something this week. I was pretty quick to anger about it too, if I'm going to be honest. You might've seen my story. I think it was yesterday or the day before. Now I posted about something that happened in our nation that was absolutely disgusting in my opinion, which is this 
this bill that was just passed in the house is gonna die in the Senate, but it got passed in the house that basically says that abortion can be up to nine months for basically any reason at all. To me, that is absolutely disgusting. And the reason is, is because the Bible is unequivocally and unrelentingly pro-life. I'm sorry, there's only one way to look at that. Biblically, God is pro-life every single time, every single time. And as a pastor, that makes me mad makes me really upset. Now I know there's so much that goes into that. And there's so much that the church has gotten wrong in supporting women and maybe even supporting women who have had abortions and, and maybe they feel shame and guilt and all that stuff. And listen, that's not what we're doing. But, but at the end of the day, the Bible is definitely a pro-life book and God's word is pro-life. And so I was really upset about that. I was very upset. I saw that and I was like, how, how in the world do we live in a place where this is okay? And so I was upset and I posted on social media about it. I wouldn't always recommend posting on social media about things. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. But that's something that angers God. Murder angers God. It distorts his goodness. And me being angry about that is not about me. It has nothing to do with me. Me posting that might've lost me some people. Me saying it right now might lose some people. But you know what? I'm not worried about it because I'm fighting for somebody else. I had to make sure before I posted anything that I'm like, am I being angry about this? Because am I trying to post about this so I can, you know, gain something? Or, or maybe am I posting about this because I'm just mad and I'm just in the moment? Or am I taking that log out of my own eye? Am I really evaluating why I'm angry about this before I'm saying and stepping out about this? And I had to address that even within myself. And you know what? I'm not mad at any particular person. I'm not mad at any woman that's ever had an abortion in this place. I want to let you know if you have before, listen, we're not mad at you, okay? And God is not mad at you. But listen, it's directed at the sin and the evil that's in our world that causes these things to be okay. And honestly, it's directed at this bill itself that says that killing unborn children is okay. Listen, that's not. I wasn't mad at any particular person, anything like that. It's directed towards sin and evil. And it's the love that I have within me that directed me to say what I said. And the anger that I have is always gonna be a secondary attribute. Listen, I'm always gonna come from a place of love, always willing to have a conversation because I know it's a very nuanced and difficult topic to talk about. But sometimes it acts quickly. And I think in that case for me, I had to say, listen, no, this is not okay. And I know this angers God and I'm okay with saying something about it very quickly because I know what the Bible says and I'm not gonna let, some, I'm not gonna let people say this and let people do this. And I know it's not gonna pass in the Senate, but who cares? I'm gonna say something anyway. And so that's what righteous anger is to me. And, and I hope that you understand the righteous anger that Christ has. Quickly, I wanna tell you what is righteous anger? Not, what is it not? It is not explosive anger, right? And in Ephesians 4.26, it says this, in your anger, do not sin. So what does that tell us? That being angry is not a sin in and of itself. It's just, if you sin while you're angry, then now we have a problem. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That does not give you the right to be explosive in your anger. Well, I can't let this go, the sun go down, so I need to say it right here, right now, and then you just unload, you know, like and say whatever you want. You ever been in a fight like that before where you just start saying things, and you're just so mad, you're so heated, you start saying things that really, honestly, maybe some of it you mean, but you start going way beyond. It's like, oh, no, I didn't really mean that. You try to eat, you know, the second you say it, you try to get that word back, you know. It's like, oh, what have I done? I've really messed up this relationship with this person now. Explosive anger is, is, not, is not righteous anger. That's sinful anger. And the next one is stewing or silent anger. Some of y'all don't explode, but some of y'all just sit there and just think about it. You just hold grudges. You just 
oh, like inside of you, you just let that thing well up, well up. You don't ever say anything about it until finally you just, blah, you just unload, right? Or even maybe you don't unload, but you just, you just leave and you just completely cut off the relationship because you didn't even, you weren't even able to actually say anything about it because you were so mad about it at that point. You think, well, they should know why I'm mad. And it's like, well, no, you, we're not mind readers. You know what I mean? Like you have to actually communicate and talk through these things. But stewing in silent anger can cause bitterness and resentment within you that will destroy relationships as well. You know what it's also not? It's not blasting people in the comment section on Facebook, okay? Like, do we need to talk about this anymore? I feel like we've talked about this so many times over this last year of Radical Church. Goodness gracious. And it's not blasting people in the comment section. I have seen people on every single side of all the debates on vaccines, on COVID, on BLM, on Donald Trump, on Joe Biden. I have seen people on both sides of every single aisle have sinful anger by commenting things and saying very hurtful things. And that's the last reason, uh, that's the last thing of sinful anger is that it simply just looks to hurt, not to heal. It looks to hurt somebody, not to mend the situation. It just looks to, how can I attack you in a way that's gonna put you down and make me feel better? But let me tell you, that's gonna only make you feel better momentarily because it's gonna really ruin the relationship you have. And it's actually a sin. Now you're gonna have to come to God for repentance of this thing. And if you keep doing this over and over and over again, you're gonna end up living a lifestyle of anger. And some people here today, maybe you're like, woo, that's me. Like, I just have this lifestyle. I feel like I'm just always angry about things. I'm always upset about things. And I have this explosive anger. I stew in this anger and I deal with this all the time. And your spouse is looking at you right now and they're like, I know that that's you. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, you need to be listening to this guy right now. This is you. Like, raise your hand. All right, so. um, But listen, we need to have righteous anger. Why did Jesus get angry? because he was upset that people were being taken advantage of. He was upset that people weren't allowed to come into God's house and to worship the way that they were supposed to be. He was upset at the things that God was upset at, all right? And so maybe you deal with anger in this place today. I just want you to drop that off at the altar today. Would everybody just stand up with me? I'm not gonna ask for anybody to raise their hand or anything like that today. I'm just simply gonna pray. And if you know that that's you, you know that that's you. You say, hey, listen, I deal with anger in my life and and I have maybe resentment or unforgiveness in my life towards somebody else. Maybe today you need to have that conversation with somebody and say, hey, you know what? I, I, I've had this anger and I've had these problems with you for a long time and I need to, I need to clear this air. We need to, I need to get this off my chest. We need to have a conversation, right? Maybe you've had some sinful anger online and you've said some things or and maybe you need to ask God for some forgiveness for that. Or maybe your spouse, you've blown up at them and you've said some things you don't mean and you need to ask for forgiveness for that too and, and ask God to help you not to live a lifestyle of anger, but have that be a secondary attribute and only as righteous anger, not as a lifestyle for you. So I just simply wanna pray for us today that we would be angry about the things that God is angry about, amen? And that we would always start with love first, always start with grace first, always start with forgiveness first, right? But know that sometimes God might ask you to act quickly and and to help us to have the discernment to know the difference between those two things, amen? So this is Jesus, the table flipper. He had some emotions, he had some anger, just like you and me, but it was directed in the right way, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that even in your anger, God, that you show us grace and love and forgiveness. Jesus, that when you went into that temple, 
that day and you flipped over those tables that you were doing it not for yourself, but you're actually lowering yourself and lifting up others. Father, I pray today that you would help us in this place. I know that there's some people that struggle with anger and struggle with maybe resentment. They struggle with holding grudges against others. Maybe there's some relationships here, people sitting right next to each other that need to have a conversation, that need to ask each other for forgiveness. Somebody needs to ask the other for forgiveness, maybe even both. And they've had fights and they've said things they didn't mean and they've said things that were strictly to hurt and not to heal. And Father, I pray that you would start to mend those relationships right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you allow your Holy Spirit to move through us in such a way to where we live by love first. Why? Because we know that you are love, that you embody everything that love is and that anger is only a secondary attribute and we're slow to anger. Help us to be slow to anger. Help us to be patient with one another. But also, Father, help us to stand up when we see an injustice. Help us to say something when we see something that is wrong. And when somebody is slandering your name, Father, when somebody's distorting who you are, desecrating your temple, your church, Father, I pray that you would help us to stand up against those things and to have that discernment to know, is this something I really need to be angry about? Or is this something that I'm just angry about because of my own emotions and my own personal selfishness and I'm trying to get my own gain? Father, help us to, to know the difference between those two things. And Lord, I just pray right now that if relationships are broken right now, would you heal them? And if somebody needs to go ask for forgiveness, Lord, would you convict them by your Holy Spirit right now that they would not wait any longer to ask for forgiveness, that they wouldn't wait any longer. Maybe somebody needs to go and say, hey, you know what? You've hurt me. And I've been dealing with this resentment and this bitterness for a long time. And, and this is something we need to talk about. And you've really hurt my feelings. And this is something that's important to me. And those conversations are so important. Help us to communicate in a way that would show love and grace, mercy and forgiveness. And so Father, we thank you. We love you so much. And Jesus, thank you that you are the table flipper and that you fight for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, God bless you so much. We love y'all. Remember, Growth Track is next week. Sign up at the back. Make sure you do that before you leave. If you'd like to give, do that at the back. We love you guys. God bless you.